Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of our podcast, Some People Call That Jesus. So this is part two of our two-part series of the final part of the world's first city, looking at the classic tale of Cain and Abel, what's taking place here. So we pick up right where we left off last time, which is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, so 6 and 7, and going on from there. And if you want the context of what took place in the Cain and Abel story and what we discussed, please check out episode 1 so you know what's taking place at this point. But we pick up where we left off with Cain being very angry, very downcast after what happened with the offerings and the sacrifices that him and Abel were supposed to bring and how it didn't work out for Cain and uh, what are his decisions and consequences from this point. So one thing of him being very angry, just want to take a point to look through the lens of the Bible on the aspect of anger and to kind of get into the mind of Cain and how kind of view the situation from his viewpoint and how it relates to us for a good lesson. So the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it says, In your anger, do not sin. So it gives us a warning here that when you're in anger, when you're angry in this state, you have this increased likelihood in a way or increased probability of committing sin. Now, it doesn't say that anger is immediately sin or that it's the same thing. And if you want to dive a little bit more into anger, you can check out what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, but that's more of a separate study. Um, But we're looking into here that this anger, the state of anger you can be in, as Cain is in right now in the story, it increases this likelihood of sin because the Bible warns us, be very careful not to commit sin when you're in the state of anger. And, And you know what it's been like when you've been angry or really frustrated before and It's like this filter from the filter between your mind and your mouth is gone and you say things you don't mean and you do things that you regret and you often say, oh, I didn't mean to say that or, oh, I didn't mean to do that or I I didn't really mean it because it's just this this short fuse or this short path for our thoughts and emotions to be expressed immediately from our mouths and uh, and often doesn't turn out very well or can be even harmful to ourselves. And just one example of that, when I was thinking back on it, this was back in high school or I was eight, eighth or ninth grade. I went to a small school, but we were like finishing up gym class, all, all the guys in the bathroom getting ready to go back to normal class. And a kid that was a couple grades older than us, he came in and there was some issue with the teacher in math class. He either had an an argument with the teacher or got a bad grade that he disagreed with. Whatever it was, this kid was upset. And he came in and in his anger and maybe trying to display toughness in front of us, he there's a bathroom wall divider, kind of like a stall wall that is right when you came in. He punched that a couple of times to express his anger in a way, probably not thinking about it too much. I mean, there are some very minor dents in the wall itself, but he cut up some of his knuckles in the process and then just stood there for a few minutes the rest of us kind of silent, you know, holding paper towel to his hand as his knuckles were busted up. And it made me think now, looking back, and what, what anger does, and it says, in your anger, do not sin. Not that him punching the wall was a sin, but man, how harmful was it to him, and how little it helped this situation to it, give his anger expression in that type of way, and to, to punch a metal wall, which did nothing to help his situation or prove his point, but just harmed himself in the process. So we know that our anger can certainly be harmful to us, especially not only in the moment when the anger or frustration arises, like which often happens with emotions going back and forth, but here it's it's more about when anger gets a hold of you and begins to dictate your actions and your decisions from that point on. Because in that verse in Ephesians, it also says after that, that do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. 
meaning don't let this period of time pass, especially don't carry this anger and bitterness into the following day. That's just not necessary, and it's even more harmful to the situation. And then it ends with saying this, nor give a foothold or give place to the devil. So our enemy, the devil, says there's some kind of opportunity that anger makes the way for. It's one of the footholds he can get in our life and give some kind of influence or control when we can't can't manage our anger or we begin to commit sin in our anger. So picture this as kind of the mentality in the situation of Cain as he's in the situation. And God comes to him in this and talks to him directly and says, you know, Cain, why are you so angry? Why are you so downcast? Really making him think, look at your decisions, you know, the decisions you made that drove you to this point. And he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Kind of implying, Cain, you knew what you were supposed to do and you didn't do it. And you're seeing the consequences of it. And it's really your previous actions that you knew you weren't supposed to do that has led to you being so angry and downcast at this moment, which is a good reflection of us to say, what's really making me so angry and what role did I play in it or what part did I play? So God tells him that and says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. So God is coming in at this pivotal moment in Cain's decision-making process and trying to instruct him and warn him of the dangers ahead because God's seen what's taking place in his heart and mind and saying sin will crouch at this door to crouch at this opportunity and access point in your life that when you're in this anger, you're very likely to sin, to say something you regret, do something you regret. And he says, but you must master it. You must know what's going on in this situation. You must heed the voice of God and say, okay, don't let this get out of control. Don't let this turn into a really bad mistake. But Cain is already starting to show a track record here at least for the first time in his life, of not heeding the voice of God. And so it doesn't say there's any response from him. Next, it's just Cain and Abel. They go out to a field. Some old interpretation said Cain invited him out. But Cain rises up, attacks his brother, and kills him. The, the tragic end to the Cain and Abel relationship and story. Cain comes back, or sorry, God comes back and confronts Cain and says, where's your brother? Cain says, I'm not what am I his keeper? And this is where God confronts him. And it goes into the the repercussions and the punishments and really the severe consequences that happened to Cain for him letting him this state persist and letting this anger turn into an act of sin, the first murder of another person, which is truly horrific, um, even though how well this, this story is known. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible situation to take place. And um, it, we're going to come back and go into some of the details specifically of the repercussions of Cain. But at this point, I just want to highlight that Cain's disobedience Disobedience to the voice of God has led to him acting in sin, acting in anger. He's forfeited his position. Part of the punishment is that he's driven out from his home, from his land. He becomes this cursed, restless wanderer. And so he's sent off into exile by his own choices. And I want you to pause right there for a moment, having that image of Cain being exiled off into this land. And he actually goes into a land called the land of wandering, the Bible calls it, really defined by Cain going out there to this uninhabited place, being a wanderer who no longer has a home, and his position and purpose is taken from him as well. So pause that image, because this is what's happening with mankind at this point, or at least with Cain, early on in Earth's history. And now, this is what's happening in the physical as well here on Earth. But the Bible talks about a place called the heavenly realms, or the spiritual realms, or the realm of the spirit. There's a few different ways to say it. But just as we hear and are in the physical, there's this place called the spiritual realm. Essentially, it's a place where spirits dwell like we dwell physically here on earth. It's the place of angels and demons. It's the place of heaven. It's 
The Bible says God is a spirit. And so these things that we cannot see but impact our everyday life is called spiritual places or the spiritual realm. And there's a story that taking place before this time, but a timeline and, and a group of individuals that is going to collide here with Cain's story leading up here to the world's first city. And you can find the details of this in Revelation chapter 12 at the back of the Bible, but it's of Lucifer the angel, later to be called Satan and the devil, who uh, his pride rises up in him, and he leads a rebellion in heaven, and he convinces a third of the angels to rebel with him against the authority and against the blessings of God, and it even says that war breaks out in heaven. This conflict breaks out, and Satan, formerly Lucifer, he loses. Him and his angels lose, and they are cast from heaven as their punishment because they rebelled against the voice of God and disobeyed. And it says heaven was their place, their home, their abode. They're driven from their place of dwelling, and they're cast down to the earth. And the earth is not another home for them. It's more like a prison. It's more like the place of, of their punishment taking place. So they lose their home. They themselves become wanderers in a way. And really it's interesting in 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, you can find in the New Testament, it talks about deceiving or seducing spirits. And in the original language can mean wandering spirits. So these spirits that cause you to wander, but they themselves are wanderers. So they only wander like Cain because they're driven from their home. And now picture these angels that were made with a purpose. You know, they, they go to and from the presence of God, fulfilling his purposes, fulfilling his commands, and they're designed with abilities and strengths to fulfill those by the word of God. And the Bible describes, just for example, some angels that excel in strength. And there's messengers' angels and warring angels and angels that guard children. So they have all these different kinds of assignments taking place. Now picture they lose their home, and they still have these energies, these abilities, these powers, whatever you want to call them. But now their purpose, now their fulfilling of the word of God, their responsibility is taken away. They're essentially unemployed. And I kind of picture this, this rough recipe or formula for restlessness, that when you have these abilities and energies that you were designed with, the way that God designed you, but in your disobedience, you forfeited the responsibility and the purpose that they were made for. You have this formula for restlessness, which really defines Cain and these fallen angels or evil spirits. And you begin to see the similarities in their path and the similarities in their decision makings of disobedience, uh, leading to a forfeiting of your position, of your inheritance, of your purpose with God, into a life of wandering, into a life of restlessness. So this is what I propose to you with these two stories colliding here. As Cain's driven out to exile, and you have these unemployed, fallen, rebellious angels also looking for a purpose and structure again. I, say, I, I propose that they find themselves in this land of wandering. And really you see Cain here is that some of the repercussions of his, his punishment and of his decisions here and the results of killing his brother is one, that he loses his purpose. You know, he was raised by his father to be a farmer, which we talked about in episode one. And part of the punishment is that the ground is cursed so that it won't produce anything for you anymore. The ground is already cursed because of his parents' disobedience, so that it was very hard to get the ground to produce in terms of farming and harvesting. But for Cain, now it's, it's doubled down. He couldn't learn from the previous generation, and now the consequences are worse, in that now the ground will produce nothing for him. So his purpose as a farmer is fully taken away. He's also driven from his home. He's a wanderer, so now he lacks that belongingness that we're all designed to have, and that, that place of home that we like to have as well. So there's the restlessness, and there's the wandering. And then he also says to God that he's worried and he's scared that anyone who finds him will kill him to avenge Abel. 
And God, in a mysterious way, puts a mark on Cain, and he says, I'll put a mark on you that anyone that tries to kill you, they'll receive seven times the vengeance upon them, giving a safeguard to Cain that he won't be killed by anyone that finds him. But again, we see Cain is having this track record of disobeying the word of God, so maybe in his mind he still has this need for protection by his own hands or his own ways. So when you get to this idea of a city, I say it's this medium or this middle ground where these fallen angels, these rebellious spirits, and Cain, who has also disobeyed and rebelled, find each other and find this community together in a way. For man, the city has physical benefits. Um, one for a city you could think of, it's a permanent location. Maybe Cain in his mind, he had this need that came out of his disobedience, this need for belongingness, for a new home, to end his wandering. So a city being very permanent, where many people live together, maybe that was his way of meeting that need. And then also a characteristic of ancient cities that I found in some research that we don't really have as much nowadays, but these ancient cities often had walls or fortifications around them for protection with certain accesses or certain gates to let you in during the day, but they would close those up at nights for safety against enemy nations and things like that. So maybe Cain's need for protection, because he's afraid he's going to be killed and avenged by anyone standing up for Abel, maybe he, he likes the ideas of walls or fortifications to protect himself and that belongingness of a permanent home. Well, then it, it begs the question, this is the world's first city. Where in the world did Cain get the idea for a city? Maybe he recognizes these needs he now has, but what about a city? He's never seen one before, and yet he has this idea to build one. Well, my suggestion, based on the word of God, is that these fallen angels that come to influence and find a connection with Cain, there is a city that technically exists. And not technically, actually exists. It's called the city of God, or also called heaven. These angels came from a place of a city. They have a type of organization or structure, maybe a blueprint in mind that they want to replicate. Because you see Lucifer, before he was Satan, his idea was that he wanted to be like God and he wanted to rule over the angels. So he desired to have his own kingdom and his own place to rule over the angels and to have that spot of God and authority. So this satanic or demonic kingdom or kingdom of darkness that the Bible describes, I believe it has its roots here at this moment where Cain begins to wander. And the and the purposeless angels have a new outlet for their energies and forming some kind of organization in connection with fallen man. And they present the ideal, or they give some kind of influence to Cain to build the city, a structure that they know of. And it meets his physical needs that came from disobedience. But then you think, okay, well these angels are, are things, these creatures of the spirit, they don't need physical walls, they don't need physical buildings, so what's the benefit for them to influence this building of a city with man? Well, this is right from the teachings and lessons of Jesus, and you can find this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. What Jesus teaches us and the disciples at the time was, he says, when an evil spirit leaves a man, it goes through arid and dry places seeking rest, but finds none. And after it's done seeking and finding no rest, it comes back to the home or the person where it left, and it finds it clean and put in order, but empty. And it says, Jesus says that that spirit will go find seven others more wicked or more powerful than itself and come inhabit that person. And the condition of the man is worse off than when he began. So this is really, I mean, whether you're used to hearing these things or not in the church or not, this is really a chilling reality that we need to be aware of, that here Jesus is comparing a man to a home for these spirits, potentially. And you think, how could these spirits have a home in us, or why is that the case? Well, here's the actual technicalities in a way of it, is that the way we're designed 
is man has a spirit within us, we're designed. God made a place within us for his own spirit to dwell with us. That place was made just for him, not for anyone else. It was designed for him. But when that's empty and vacant, it still has this purpose of fellowship or connection with the spirit. So these evil spirits find a way to connect with empty, sinful man in a way to influence them, trying to take the place of God in that person's life. So it compares man to a house with these evil spirits where they find some kind of rest that's not afforded to him anymore and some kind of home to end their wandering. So again, this idea of the city being constructed, the physical benefits for man, are the exact same benefits in the spirit before these fallen evil angels, that they find belongingness, they find purpose, they find a home in these individuals. And as you know with any type of group, there's things called groupthink and other ideas that people begin to act the same and a culture develops and ideas are shared when a group comes together. So just think when you have this city that is formed by a person like Cain, after he's made these decisions and after he's had this behavior and after these curses and repercussions are upon him, it really makes you think, you know, anyone that's born to him, it says he has a son and he names the city after his son. There's an identity of the city that could for generations perpetuate this behavior, perpetuate a disregard for God's word, keep people in this disobedience, in this type of culture, in this type of sin, etc. For anyone that comes into the city or anyone that becomes descendants of Cain. So you could see that for generations after this, and Cain's descendants, and the ones that came after him, that the fallen angels have this connection. They maintain their home in these people who are kept far from the voice of God. And these people are kept by the work of their own hands, maybe in a way, by the influence of the evil ones to create this city to provide for themselves needs that were developed because they disobeyed the word of God. So that's how the first city came to be. We know regardless there was a first city. And the connection between these two forces comes together, and they have a perpetual history of being against the people of God. So after all of this and the story in mind, you, maybe you might think, well, well, what in the world is the practicality of the walk away from us? It's good to know the roots of this story and how these things started, but what do we take away from this to start putting into practice right away? And here's what it is. It's that the reality back then of that situation of Cain and Abel, the workings in the spirit and in the physical, are just as relevant today. And really, I'm glad that we got into this topic and this story and these pieces at the launch of this podcast, because everything else will stem from this overarching uh, conflict and reality that, that really consumes our world, whether you realize it or not. And this is what it is. It's that God is continually, by his voice, or God's voice is calling humanity back to himself, instructing us, calling out to us, drawing us back. But yet sin is still crouching at the door, desiring to have you again. And anyone who chooses this path of disobedience, you are destined for this life of wandering and purposelessness, where there's this community of fallen, rebellious angels who took the same path, and they desire to have community with you. They'll, they'll gladly welcome you in. And their whole existence runs contrary to the things of God, and they desire for that to be your experience as well, and to keep away from the blessings, especially the inheritance of heaven. So really keep in mind, what is the question? Who will you choose? It's still available today, those two paths, God calling by his voice and the enemy calling by their voices to the path of disobedience. So keep this in mind as we go into further studies and further implications of the Bible and defining life. Picture that this is the first city. This is really the roots of it. So I appreciate your time and for studying with you, and I'm really excited to get into more topics like this as well. And until next time, I look forward to studying with you again.